0: Good morning. My name is Jeff. If we haven't met, thrilled to have you with us. And again, if it's like last week, there, there were more households online last week than people in church. So we're grateful that you're engaging in this unique season and staying present and being a part of our community. I'm really grateful for technology during this season. If you're online, you might not be able to fully see, but we still have all of our Christmas decorations up. Um, but we have transitioned into the season of Epiphany. Um, And that's just because the pandemic is real, and the people who were going to take down the decorations this week felt like they couldn't. Everyone's trying to do the right thing in our church community. You can feel good about that. So we've started Epiphany, but we still have Christmas decorations, and that's just the season we're in right now, right? Now, I grew up in a church that actually honored—we're going through a series. We're spending a year in the Gospels, and we're going through the church calendar, and I— I really explained this at the beginning, and I'll try to remind us as we go through this, but we're doing this as a discipleship practice. Part of my my calling, I feel, as a pastor is to equip us to be disciples of Jesus and make disciples. And so I try to add tools that are helpful for keeping Jesus at the center of your life. And so that's what the church calendar is meant to do. It's meant to help us not orient—we talked about this a lot—not orient how you think about your year around when school starts or when vacation happens or when you buy certain things, right, but around Jesus. And so that's what we're doing, and we've entered into the season of epiphany. And I, I grew up in a church that actually did the church calendar. I never got it. I think there were two reasons. One, I don't think the church I grew up in did a great job of explaining to me the power of this tool— <laughs> But I also think I just—I didn't really come alive to Jesus until college, and so I just wasn't at a place to understand it fully. But I knew some things. I mean, I just look back at the weekly liturgy that I was a part of. I picked up on Christmas pretty easily. I got a good idea of Lent. We really leaned into Lent. I had a really—our Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services were always—there was this freaky noise in the back that always scared me as a kid. I understood Easter, obviously, but Epiphany was one of these things that came and went. I never understood Epiphany. Now, I remember, I do remember, it gives me hope as a pastor, I remember a few, ser- I remember a few sermons from my childhood. But one of the sermons, we had a guest pastor, and it was, a, it was, the, it was the day of Epiphany, Sunday of Epiphany, January 6th, it was, I think it was a line, and he was preaching on Epiphany, and he was talking about Epiphany kind of being a light shining in the darkness. We've come out of Christmas, and now the light has dawned, it's a new day, and he, and he, and he had a a book of you remember books of matches now we've got all those lighters that you just click 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 but it was a book of match you got to remember that was a book of matches and he and he and he was talking about how you know when you when you strike the match it kind of makes this right so he did he's like it's like it's a good way to remember epiphany epiphany and he lit the match you know it's super cool i remember that i didn't i didn't know what epiphany was but i remembered that So this morning, I don't have a book of matches, but I want you to understand what Epiphany is. What are we doing? We have entered into what we would call the season of presence. What did we do in Advent? We waited, we waited, we waited, and now God has come, Emmanuel. God is with us, and so we recognize his presence. Now, the texts that are usually associated with Epiphany are, are, I wrote, if you get our weekly email on Friday, about the, the, the magi, the star The wise men coming. That's one of the texts. The other text is what we're going to look at today. The baptism of Jesus. When the father says, this is my son, you can't miss it. And then next week, the, the final text really associated with Epiphany is his first sign at that wedding in Cana. That'll be next week's sermon. But we're going to be leaning into the presence of God. God's made known, revealed. The theme of Epiphany is the glory of God manifested in Jesus. The glory which for the Jewish people was only a a distant reality has now become a visible, tangible, walking, feeling, touching member of the human race. God has come. And we celebrate that at Epiphany. We're not waiting anymore because he's here. And so we begin to anticipate what is he going to do? So we're in Matthew chapter 3. Our core text is the baptismal text of verses 13 to 17, but I I want to set. it's really important to set the context so you feel some of the questions that should come up with this text. So I'm going to read Matthew 3 verses 1 to 7. This is the beginning of the story, and if you were with us back in Advent, I actually preached Luke's version of this story, so you should be familiar with it if you've been a part of our church family. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness. We talked about John out in the wilderness. On the edge of things, he's kind of, he's different, right? He's on the edge, and he's preaching. And his message is this. It's important for you to understand this. Repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God is near. It's a a message of confession and repentance. Verse 3 talks about John being foretold of by the prophet Isaiah. And pick up in verse 4, we were reminded that John wore coarse camel hair clothing and a belt, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Well, we'll talk a little bit about this, but I, I said a few weeks ago, John is outside of the system. In John's mind, the system is corrupt. The way the world has been arranged is corrupt, and so he's doing something new outside of it. And for whatever reason, you've got this crazy man out in the wilderness, and people are Walking. Day's journeys. They want to hear John. They want to be baptized. They want to confess their sins. And so we read in verse 5, people are coming. And in verse 6, they're confessing their sins and being baptized. Now, I want to point out, I would stop there just for context. But let me read verse 7 just because we're entering Epiphany. And I, I think this will help make some of the contrast. It says, When John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, John denounced them, you brood of snakes. Remember, I preached on this. TV. You band of vipers. Who warned you, right? But well, it's interesting. What I want to focus on, and we preach Luke. Luke is kind of that message from Jesus, the way Luke's writing his gospel, because they're discipleship manuals. Luke is writing it, so we all hear, we're all a band of snakes. But Matthew's like, oh, he's targeting the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who have come to watch rather than participate. They just stand on the banks. They never step into the water. They never repent. They believe in repentance. Certainly the Pharisees believed in repentance. They just thought it was something that other people needed to do. And so they stand and they watch. And they make sure those people repent. So again, I hope you feel a little bit of the contrast. Because we've entered into the season of epiphany. Where you're never allowed to be a mere observer. Or... Maybe closer to home you're not meant to be a consumer <laughs> you're meant to come and participate and engage with what god is doing his presence is here so we enter into the story and we allow our gathering this times of worship we allow our hearts and our minds to encounter the risen lord to be shaped by his words and his actions As I said, it's not Advent anymore. In Advent, we were were leaning into our longings for God to come. Remember, not our circumstances to change, but our longing for God to come and do whatever he might do, because whatever he might do is what we need. But now we're past the season of Advent, and now we're, all right, God, move! Now it's time! You move! So that's where we are as we enter into the core text this morning, just a little bit later in Matthew chapter 3. We'll pick up in verse 13. Jesus went from Galilee, again, He made a little travel out to the Jordan River, to the wilderness, to be baptized by John. I, maybe that's starting to raise some questions for you. Wait, this is a baptism of the confession of sins and repentance, and Jesus is going? In fact, John feels the tension. Matthew calls it out. John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one. I mean, I've been telling everybody, one is coming. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And now you're coming to me and I'm going to baptize you? Jesus, this doesn't make sense. What's going on? And Jesus says, maybe he says more than this, but he at least says it should be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. Your, t- your translation may say, fulfill all righteousness. Which either translation works. That's really, fulfilling righteousness is doing what God requires. And John is convinced by this argument And John, actually this is just a theme in Matthew. Jesus says it happens. (laughs) So John does it. He agrees to baptize him. And we prayed about this already and Mark alluded to this. But after his baptism, as Jesus came out of the water, the heavens are opened. Mark's gospel says the heavens are split apart, torn apart. The heavens are opened and and the Spirit of God is seen descending like a dove in the form of a dove and, and settling on Jesus. And then there's this voice, the father from heaven, a voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. That's epiphany right there. If you didn't know who this was, now you know the father says, this is my son. I love him. My beloved son, I'm pleased with him. I find great joy in him. That's epiphany right there. So let's walk through this a little bit. I've kind of alluded to some of the things I want to lean into First, we run into verse 14. John is announcing to Israel that they need to repent and rethink their life. They need to change their ways. They need to come and be baptized as a sign of their repentance, confess their sins so they might receive forgiveness. And as Christians, we might then ask, why is Jesus baptized? I mean, if Jesus is without sin, which we would affirm completely, we confess that as truth, Jesus had no sin, why is he being baptized for repentance? He's not repenting of sin. What, what is going on? What, 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 why is this? How, how does this fulfill righteousness? What's going on? I mean, John had announced that one coming after him would baptize in fire and the Holy Spirit, remember, not be baptized. It's almost as if I mean I don't know we don't do this very much we certainly wouldn't do this now in the winter in the ice and the snow and the cold but but you remember back maybe some of you were a part of this it sometimes it's more associated with maybe the Methodist denomination or the Baptist denomination but they do like outdoor week revivals right Still happens some, just not as much. An outdoor week, imagine we were building up for an outdoor week revival and I've been going on and on about my friend who is this amazing evangelist who's gonna come and he's gonna preach. Come, be ready. This holy man, there might even be miracles and healings. I mean, just come and see what God might do. And we're there, we're under the tent, we're all excited and I see him and you see me, I see him and here he comes. And I kind of step aside, we all expect him to come up and, and just begin to preach, but he, but he just kneels. There's others praying for, he just kneels down, he just, and we'd be, wait, I thought he was coming to preach to us. Why is he, why is he joining, why is he penitent with the others? What is going on? And People were shocked. John was shocked. Now again, I said this, Jesus isn't confessing sin, but I think it's important to note that the first thing that Jesus does in his, this kind of inaugurates his ministry, it, The first thing he does for the human race is go down with it into the deep waters of repentance and baptism. This is part of the masterful story that God is enacting. You may know that Jesus ends his ministry, his life on a cross between thieves, but you may not have paid attention to the fact that he begins his ministry in a river among sinners. I mean, Jesus just knew. He knew from the beginning what he was about. What his mission meant? From his baptism to his execution, Jesus stays low. We'll talk about that this morning as he's reversing things. He stays low. He stays at our level. He's identifying with us at every point, becoming as completely one with us in our humanity as he is completely one with God in eternity. And I want to read, I've, I may have read this before, but Calvin Miller wrote kind of a poetic rendition of the gospel story it's about the troubadour Jesus is the troubadour who has a song to sing and I love the way he tries to wrestle with the mystery of everything that's happening at the baptism let me just read a few little stanzas here he says his seeming madness made the music play a hundred times more loudly than before it lured him from his highland home he left the mallet broken on the vice and he walked away Never had he been the way he walked, and yet his feet knew every step. He could not cease to marvel how they moved his body forward through the mist of circumstances which he vaguely knew by name. And then he says this. This is the mastery of poetry. His naked feet intrigued him, for they moved with purpose which his mind had not yet measured. Besides... They each one wore a curious scar of some wound, as yet unopened. Yet they had been there long before his birth. What twist of meaning had Earthmaker given him to scar his feet before he ever walked? Do you feel the tension? I mean, it's, this is what's going on here. I mean, At the very beginning, I mean, it's not a surprise what Jesus is about and what he's going to do. Jesus is joining the human race. He's not confessing his own sin, but he has so joined humanity that he is willing to be identified with us in our problem. That's what I've been saying all morning. He is God with us. Emmanuel, that means he is not God over against us. He is not God above us. He is not God out of reach or separate from us. He is God with us. Jesus does not stand on the shore and call out our problem. You understand how radical. that The Pharisees and Sadducees were happy to do that. Jesus enters into the waters of baptism with us. And this is where I want to make our first pause this morning. I want you to hear this loud and clear. Jesus identifies with you whatever you're going through this morning. You may even say, Jeff, you don't know. My life is so dark. I've been spy- You have no idea what I've done, what I've said, what I've thought, the things I've, the acts I've committed. I mean, my sins are countless. I mean, I'm not even sure Jesus could find me where I am, and if He did, there's no way He'd want that. To- he's come. <laughs> Jesus has come, and He is with you. Whatever you're dealing with, Jesus is with you. And that should shock you that God would, but that's who our God is. <laughs> Epiphany, wake up, be be alive. This is the glory of God and his character for you and for me. You may say he could never find me or join me where I am. I say, hear the good news, God has come. and He's here. And I also know, because I listen, I try to listen to all of you, and I have been listening to stories. I haven't gotten a lot of FaceTime with people this week, but some emails, some phone calls, some conversations... And I know with the pandemic kind of resurging here in January, that fear is resurfacing. That frustration is boiling over. And certainly exhaustion is everywhere. Everybody's just tired of this, right? But I just want to remind you, we'll keep going, but I want to remind you at this point, Jesus has joined you. And he's saying to you, let me help you. I'm here with you. Whatever you're dealing with, let me walk through it with you. You've made it to today and the sun is shining. It's because I've gotten here. Let me continue to walk with you, whatever you're facing. That's the first thing I want you to hear this morning. But I do, and I want to continue to do this throughout the year because one of the things that has been eye-opening to me is how little I understood the kingdom of God. I mean, I read the Gospels, but I, I have a lot. I'm still learning about the kingdom of God. And one of the things I've been learning is that the kingdom of God is is comprehensive. It's so much more than just our individual life. Can I say it that way? One of the ways I've been learning this and practicing this, some of you know, years ago I went to prayer school and I started praying a prayer liturgy every day. I teach it in our discipleship pathway formed, And every day, I I usually do this by myself. Sometimes I do it with my wife, but I, I usually do it by myself. And every day I pray a prayer of confession And even though I'm praying by myself, I always pray this, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you. (laughs) I pray this to fight my own propensity towards individualism. As modern people, we think of sin almost entirely in terms of individualism. We think of sin as personal and individual. I'm an individual, and I'm only responsible for myself. Thank you very much. I've thought that, I've said that on many an occasion. And recently, whenever I think that or say that, I hear the words of Cain reverberating through the, the biblical story, am I my brother's keeper? I'm only responsible for me, right? And of course, the answer in the gospel and the Bible is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. But as humanity, we've been wrestling against that for all of time. And if you know the story of Cain, a son of Adam and Eve, he killed his brother Abel. There's probably a lot of reasons why. It was driven by pride. It was driven by greed. It was driven by lust, envy, covetousness, power, hate. Cain wanted to be the master over his brother, and he killed him. He took what he wanted. And I talk about this frequently because I think it's really important for understanding the kingdom of God and what Jesus is doing. Cain then goes off, and if the the biblical story, what it's telling us is that he is the founder of human civilization. So the ways we've erased ourselves as human beings, the Bible says, come from Cain, come from a murderer who was motivated by all kinds of sin. So sometimes we've got to feel this out because the kingdom of God is just, it's just more comprehensive than we tend to think it is. And I think sometimes we can talk about personal greed and personal lust and individual power or hate or fear, and, and we see it. We see it. That's clear to us. I get that. But then we, we begin to talk about our, our, our world and how it's arranged in a way that, that seemingly rewards the greedy. It rewards the lustful. It rewards the power-hungry. It rewards those with hateful rage. That greed and lust and power and fear in many ways are the engine that runs the whole thing that Cain started. And sometimes that's harder for us to see. But if you don't see that, you aren't going to understand the fullness of what the kingdom has come to do. And I think there's something in this with Jesus. Jesus isn't a sinner, but he enters into our baptism of repentance. Do you understand? Jesus could have said, it's not my fault. That's not my fault. That's not my fault. But Jesus takes the blame, and he brings us salvation. <laughs> so I do think at times it is, it is healthy for us to not only confess— we all, you always need to confess my sin. You've got to do that. But there are times and places—I do it daily— where we confess our sins. That we're a part of this arrangement that Cain set up, and it's not Jesus' plan. <laughs> And we need to repent of that and find the kingdom, right? Sometimes we need to say, I too am caught up in this mess of sin. I'm implicated with everyone else, and I need to rethink everything and ask God for his mercy because the kingdom of God is changing everything. In fact, that's one of the things our, I think most, I'm not saying every small group is doing it because it's not mandatory, but, but we are supplying. So our, our small groups have been reading through a gospel together. And now we're going to be reading this book by Richard Bauckham. It's called Jesus, A Very Short Introduction. Isn't that great? I like it. And we're going to be reading it together, not every chapter, but but we're going to be reading this. And one of the reasons I want us to read this is because Richard Bauckham is a Christian and I think he's one of the foremost gospel scholars alive today. I've learned so much from him. doesn't mean you have to agree with everything he says. That's never the point. But he knows a lot. He's, He's worth listening to, at least wrestling with what he has to say. And what I, what, one of the reasons I want, I mean, it might be a little bit a harder book because it's a little, it's kind of like almost like, it's a short book, but it's almost like a textbook kind of read. But I, what I want us to continue to grow in is, is the magnitude of what Jesus is doing. And sometimes, and I think it's bad, we read these small stories and the small stories are powerful, but sometimes we need somebody who's read through the Gospels again and again and again to help us step back and see the big picture of this thing that Jesus is doing, what he's about. And so I've been reading through it. Uh, We're we're almost done. There's a couple people helping me, but we're putting together questions. If your small group starts the book this week, I can get you questions for the first couple chapters, but we're finishing up the whole book, uh, hopefully this week. So I spent a lot of time reading, actually that was my my second or third time through the book, but I was struck. He talks a lot about the kingdom and, and some of how Jesus is reversing things or changing things on a massive level. The talks about how Jesus says, many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. He says, the kingdom is a topsy-turvy world that inverts all claims to personal importance in order to do away with all self-importance. Now, we could just take that on a, on a, on a personal level, right? And it's true. And I, actually, I do think a lot of the revolutionary change is going to happen at, at an individual level as the kingdom of God comes, what do we say, one snowflake at a time. Come slowly, quietly. But Jesus had a vision of a new Israel, of a new people. And Jesus took the unparalleled step of abolishing social status. If you look at what he's doing on a big picture, he doesn't give his disciples the status of master. Because if you're a disciple and you become a master, then it'd be easy for you to think, well, anybody who's not a part of this community is less than me. I'm more than them. I'm I'm above them. But what Jesus does, and he models this in John chapter 13, and it's mind-blowing to the disciples. He washes their feet. That's what slaves do. But by washing their feet, Jesus is saying, no, we, we are abolishing social status in the new community. And in a sense, we are now all slaves. In a society of slaves, no one may think of him or herself more important than the others. I mean, Jesus does this again and again in a variety of ways. I was reading it, and maybe you've thought of it. I never thought about this before, but in the Gospel of Mark, we're introduced to this guy named Bartimaeus. Some of you know the story. Bartimaeus is a blind beggar. And Bauckham says, well, the reason we know his name is because the Gospel of Mark was written to the church in Rome, and they would have known. I mean, he was an eyewitness of these events. They knew Bartimaeus probably personally, and so he was excited to call out somebody that they would know in the story. But Bauckham stops and says, have you ever read much history? How many books of history do you read about where they not only mention a blind beggar, but mention them by name? That doesn't happen. You only talk about the emperors and the generals. You don't talk about blind beggars. Jesus does. The gospel does. Do you understand how radical this is? He's rearranging everything. And what, what, what Cain set up made people important for a variety of reasons. Jesus says, none of those reasons matter. You're important because God loves you. And so we're all in this together. He says, Jesus' vision of God's rule was not of a Jewish state liberated from Roman rule, but of a society formed by the experience of God's healing and forgiving grace, sustained by God's fatherly provision, inclusive of all those who tend to be left out or pushed to the margins of society, characterized not by domination but by mutual service, and in which all status and privilege are replaced by relationships of loving mutuality. So yes, there is individual repentance, but I I just want us to begin to see more and more that the kingdom of God is more comprehensive than maybe you ever imagined. And it's really good news. (laughs) Well, on to verse 15. I'll just say a few things about fulfilling all righteousness. Jesus is seeking baptism not from a consciousness of sin, but from a concern for righteousness. And and I've said this before, I like to think of worldliness as any time we think sin is normal and righteousness is strange. Part of what Jesus is introducing us to is a life where righteousness is normal and sin seems strange. Wouldn't your journey through life be easier if sin seems strange? The problem for many of us is sin seems so normal, it's so seductive. Jesus is trying to reorient our hearts and our minds so that the will of God is normal. And righteous, righteousness is just, it's, it's the air we breathe. It's what we would do. And sin is, why would we ever do that? That's strange. I mean, that's, he's trying to lead us to do the will of God. Righteousness in Matthew is doing the will of God. And, and this is one of the things that happens at our baptism. And I want to say this here. If you haven't been baptized, I would love to chat with you. After the service, if you're here, and if you're online and you're in a season where you're like, I don't know when I'll be back physically at church because I I don't understand everything going on in the world right now, that's fine. But I do want to challenge you if you're online, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not baptized and the Spirit of God is moving as we talk about this, to shoot me an email and say, I don't know when I'm ready to be back at church, but the Spirit of, don't, don't ignore the Spirit's prompting. Jeff, I want to talk to you about getting baptized. Just send me an email. I like my typing right there. <laughs> send me an email. Because at our baptism, it's, it's, a, it's a sacred moment where we, there's a lot going on, but one of the things that we're doing is publicly declaring that we want to do the will of God above all else. I think it's important for your discipleship journey to have that moment where you stand before other people and you say, I want to do the will of God above all else. If you follow me, you know I don't do the will of God above all else. But I want to, and I'm, and I'm learning from Jesus what that means and how to do that. Because God is my life source. This life that I'm learning to live, the source is God. It's, it's the fullness of life and a relationship with God. It's all the blessings God has to give us so that we can flourish as his people. And then we get to kind of the crux. The core, Jesus himself being baptized. And I want to, because we're talking about how the kingdom is different. And there's so many, again, if you are good readers of literature, if you appreciate what's happening in these gospels, you begin to see, we don't have to wait for the cross. That's my point. You don't have to wait for the cross. Everything Jesus is doing is preparing us for the cross. He's teaching us his way, his spirit, his truth. From the very beginning of the baptism, he's with us as sinners. And he's showing us a new way. And so at his baptism, the heavens are torn apart. Mark says, ripped apart. It's it's the answer to Isaiah's prayer in Isaiah 64. Rend the heavens and come down. God is coming down. You could almost call it a divine invasion from heaven. The world has been as it's been under the ruler of Satan, the, the accuser. Satan's been ruling. Cain kind of set it up for him. But now there's an invasion from heaven. And it's really important that you pay attention. How does the invasion come? How does the spirit come down from heaven? As a gentle dove. Do you understand? There's this violent ripping and you kind of see there's another dimension, a heavenly dimension. It's not that far away. But the invasion comes as a dove. A peaceable dove. If you've been reading through John's message, John the Baptist, it doesn't, it doesn't come as fire or an axe or a shovel. It doesn't come as a lion or a tiger or we'll talk about as a war eagle. It comes as a dove. Jesus came up from the water of baptism and received God's spirit, God's wind, God's breath in a new way, declaring him epiphany to be God's son, the new Israel. And the dove indicates that the coming judgment will not be achieved through a warlike or vindictive spirit, but will mean the making of peace. Power comes at baptism, but it's dove power. (laughs) The kingdom of God is coming in a radically different way with a different kind of power. The evil one is trying to lead you up so that you can be master of others, so that you can be your own God like the gods but the holy one comes to lead us down so that we learn to be servants of others part of what's happening at this, this it's like a coronation ceremony it's psalm 2 i mean it's the language is psalm 2 and isaiah 42 the suffering servant passages but but the message is that christ has replaced caesar as the ruler of the world that's part of what's being written because, that's why I said war eagle. If you look at Roman history, the war eagle was representative of Rome. It was on standards, it was on shields, I think. I mean, you would think Caesar, war eagle. And so again, the Holy Spirit is creative. You're not going to see a war eagle, you're going to see a dove. In other words, if, if you tear open the heavens and you get a war eagle, the world's the same as it's always been. But if you tear open the heavens and you get a dove, something's happening. And again, this shouldn't surprise us if we know the gospel story because Jesus does the same thing on Palm Sunday. He doesn't ride a war horse like Caesar. He rides a donkey. And after Jesus is resurrected and John gets the revelation, what happens? There's the Lion of Judah and we turn and we don't see a lion. We see a slain lamb. And Jesus, These animals are symbolic of the way the Spirit comes. A gentle bird ...a beast of burden. We talk about lamb power. Now we can talk about dove power. <laughs> but these are the images the Bible gives us. Now, Jesus is being commissioned for his ministry... ...and he knew where this was all going. That's part of what I'm trying to tell you. He knew, what he, was getting, he knew what he was getting into... ...but he knew the way that he was going to get there... ...was radically different than anyone had ever gone before. His mission was to announce and enact and inaugurate... ...and establish the kingdom of God... And again, the kingdom of God is that which is not the world. It's something we haven't seen before. It's not the way it's always been. It's not the way it is. What do we say? It is what it is. No, the kingdom of God is something different and something new. You may find yourself in this season losing hope and despairing and thinking it's just always the, way, it's the way it's always going to be. It's the way it is. It's the way it's always going to be. But then we come to epiphany and we remember that the glory of God has been made visible and the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. And it doesn't have to be the way it is. That God is moving. Now, he's moving in a different way than we expect. It's tough power. But he's come to set up an alternative society. That's, That's what the church is meant to be and what we can be. Believe me, in this broken and hurting world, Crossview, there is so much gospel opportunity to provide a space that the rest of the world doesn't see. A space that loves and is gentle and forgiving and merciful and listens and values righteousness and and operates from a biblical worldview. I mean, there's, there's so much that we have to offer, but we're trying to learn what it means to be this alternative society. We don't want to be a society that's based primarily on greed or lust or hate or fear or power. We want to be an alternative society based around the Lord's Messiah, established on the idea that humans can live on love, generosity, and trust. That that's possible. We could live that way. That if we have love and generosity and trust, somehow we'll get through. At at Epiphany, at, at the baptism, we are offered a peaceable kingdom of Christ. Christ is king, he is Lord, love is the way, and peace is the outcome. Your sins are forgiven, and healing is common, and it's present among us. This is the kingdom we're invited into. We went through Advent, and we were saying, wait, wait, we've got to wait on God, we've got to wait. But now that we've entered Epiphany, we say, it's time, Jesus, come. Now, we're going to trust in you, not our circumstances, but we're going to trust in you to come. It's possible the kingdom is breaking in, and we can believe it and live differently now. A lot of people think the way the world is is the way it will always be, but we choose to live with hope, to dare to believe that God could do something. We believe with Jesus that the kingdom is at hand, that it's within our reach right now, and so we believe. And whether you're a Christian or not, I firmly believe that every time we say Jesus is Lord, Jesus is our Savior. Every time we announce the good news, Jesus is God. It's an opportunity for you and me to believe again. We have the capacity to believe that statement and trust it and live as if it's real. To believe the kingdom of God is breaking in and God is moving and we want to see him move and we want to participate in it. Yes, the kingdom of God comes differently. It comes like Jesus on the cross, but we believe there's more power there than anything else. And so we're excited about this invasion, this invasion from heaven. It's it's an invasion of love, an invasion of mercy, forgiveness, peace, grace, salvation, healing, healing of our souls, healing of our minds, healing of our past, newness, new opportunity, new birth. And of course, the passage ends with the Father speaking. He says, dear world, this is it here he is. (laughs) If you've been paying attention to the story in the Old Testament, here's everything you've been looking for. Every promise is yes in this one. Dear world, I hope you're paying attention because everything I have to say right here, look at Jesus. He comes with my personal word of recommendation and my own declaration of authenticity. The Father says, this is my priceless son and I am deeply pleased with the Father is pleased with Jesus because Jesus is revealing the Father. I mean, that's what brings pleasure to the Father. Read the Gospel of John. Jesus only does the Father's will. Jesus is revealing the heart of the Father. The Father looks at the Son and he thinks, man, that, that's, he's revealing exactly who I am. He sees himself in the Son. That's, that's me. And it brings the Father pleasure. And the Father wants us to know one thing above all others, how much we have in Jesus. Don't miss how much you have in Jesus. You have so many resources available in Jesus. Don't get so distracted that you start turning to other things instead of Jesus. Now, Jesus may use other things, other people, but we start with Jesus. We walk with Jesus. We let Jesus lead us to those other things because everything that we're longing for is found in him. The Father says, here in this man is everything I want to say, reveal, and do. Everything I want people to hear, see, and believe. If you want to know anything about me, if you want to hear anything from me, if you want to please me, get together with Jesus. Or as he will summarize the transfiguration, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Now I could kind of just run from there, but I I want to jump just Two or three more minutes. But I want to jump to the way Matthew ends his gospel. Because this week I saw more connections than I've ever seen before. So Matthew ends with what we call the Great Commission. And I will, I will read it because I have not memorized in a different translation. <laughs> but Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. I'm the king. I'm the Lord. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, And notice what he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And here you go, Emmanuel, be sure of this, I am with you always, even at the end of the age. But you think about what we just walked through with the baptism. You have one of these unique scenes where you actually see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all in one moment. And it just so happens to be the baptism of Jesus. (laughs) And then we get to the end, and, and Matthew is recording the resurrected, Je- r- resurrected Jesus' words. And he says, go and make disciples. You do this by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I hope you see the connection. And Jesus says, "We'll do this because it will fulfill all righteousness. And, and then he says, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Well, that's fulfilling all righteousness. That's doing the will of God. If you learn to do what Jesus says, you're going to be just fine. And so this is what we do. As followers of Jesus, as disciples, we are disciples and we make disciples. And I, I think a lot of it begins by living into the reality of who we are now in Christ. And our, I mean, Jesus' baptism is unique, right? He's sinless. He is God in human flesh. He's always been. And so there's something unique about his baptism. But we are called to baptize. And, and so a lot of what is true of Jesus then carries through to us. I mean, in a unique way, we are now adopted into the family of God uh, because of Jesus. But we are then commissioned, like Jesus, to do the work of the kingdom. And I do believe that when the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, he says to us what he says to Jesus. He sees us not as we see, not as we are in ourselves, but as we are in Jesus. That's part of the joy of the gospel. And it may seem impossible, but it's true. When God looks at you, he says to you, "You are my dear, dear child, and I am delighted in you." That's good news. When God looks at you, he says, "You are my you bring me joy. I'm pleased with you. I love you. I'm in this with you. I'm not going anywhere." It's really good news. And then out of that new identity, that gift, that grace, we then seek to tell others about the good news of Jesus and what he's doing in the world and what could be true for them if they repent of their sins and follow after him. And we believe here at Crossview that discipleship happens in community. Now, somebody was asking me, how you doing? And I said, you know, I I was really hoping to gear up for community in January and then all this stuff is going on, right? So it makes it kind of tricky, I get that. But we're going to continue to talk about community and try to find ways to engage where we can. So Sunday school is starting. If you're able to start in two weeks, fantastic. It's a great way to get to know people. If you're not able to start in two weeks, whenever you're able to be here, you can join in. We have small groups. We would love to add more. We probably need a few more. I mean, with everything going on, we need a few more people willing to say, yeah, I want to be a part of this. We're, we don't have a million small groups, but we have a few. And so if you're interested, you can email me or call me or tear off on the bulletin and put it in and I'll get a hold of you and try to let you know these are when the groups are. They, they, they all kind of look different and meet at different times. And so we'll try to see what fits into your schedule and what you can make work. But some groups meet in person, some are all online, and some are hybrid. I mean, it's just all kinds of variety. We're doing our best to try to keep community going. But we think, we, we do believe that the community is vital and important. Um, and I'm also going to be doing our, our discipleship pathway formed. I'm going to probably do that in February. I've got to figure out a few things. I will say this. One of my biggest things with formed is always what night of the week do I do it? <laughs> and so it would be helpful if you're interested in doing formed, if you would email me and say, hey, well, I really want to be part of this. These are the nights or the morning or, or whatever. This is when I can do it. And I'll tr- I will do my best to plan around the times for the people who want to do it this round. So uh, but be thinking, be praying, how can I engage in community and be a part of discipleship? And I think it'll be important for you. I was talking, our elders met yesterday and we prayed, and our elders are all a part of small groups and community because we think it's important. And one of our elders was sharing, you know, their their group met last week in a hybrid fashion, and and they're feeling the tension. They're feeling the tension of what's going on right now in our community, in our county. And a different, different, I mean, as you, I've said this before. We aren't gathered together as the church because we all have the same response to the pandemic. (laughs) We're gathered together as a church because we all have the same response to Jesus or we're on that journey. (laughs) And, And our friend said, you know, it was awesome because we were all feeling the tension. But as we talked about Jesus, we were just delighting in him together. And it brought so much unity and all the tension faded away. It was as if our friend was saying, you know, I know the world has been a certain way and I know how it is right now and I know all the mess, but because the kingdom is at hand, we know it can be different and we're experiencing the kingdom in our small group right now. It was awesome. It gave me so much. What did Corey talk about? It gave me so much healing and energy. You join a small group and you don't have to wait for Sunday morning. <laughs> it gave me what I needed for the week. That's why we think this is important. It's not always convenient. It's not always easy, but it's important. It's important. So believe the announcement, Jesus is Lord, and he's come to be with you and me. Amen? Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I do want to kind of start our prayer, because our, my friend, our friend said this yesterday as well. You've been through a pandemic before, and so it gives us great confidence, great hope. You'll get us through this. It might not be easy. Certainly, you never said there would be no pain or suffering, but you'll get us through this. Where we're tired, you will give us energy. You'll wake us up in surprising ways. Where we're hurting or sick, you'll bring the healing that we need. Where we're lonely and isolated, Jesus, you'll provide the community and the friends that we need. And maybe we need to do more asking for that. Jesus, we need friends. Jesus, our mind isn't right. We need healing. Uh, There's all kinds of things we can ask because you're with us. You're with us all the time and you hear us. So we practiced waiting because it's important, but now we're going to practice expecting because you're here. (laughs) Not demanding because the kingdom comes slowly, but anticipating and expecting your movement. The kingdom is at hand and we believe. Amen. Amen.